Welcome back. Jeff Semple sitting in for Alan Carter today. Alan, uh, listening to us from afar in the cottage, according to Twitter. So, Alan, hope you've enjoyed a well-deserved break. Looking forward to having you back on the airwaves here tomorrow, showing us all how it's done properly. And thanks for the opportunity to keep this seat warm in your absence. Uh, you know, we are talking, everyone here, about masks today, of course, because as of today, officials in Toronto no longer asking people to wear masks when they're out and about, but it is now the law, a bylaw, that forces people to wear masks when they are in pub- indoor spaces that are accessible and open to the public. So your grocery store, your coffee shop, your church, synagogue, mosque, etc. Expect to wear a mask when you go out to these places. Now, enforcement is a different question. The city has said that this is about education. There are no plans to enforce this. In fact, they're asking businesses to really, you know, take those steps to say no mask, no service. Uh, So don't expect any bylaws officers to be running around writing tickets to people. There are exceptions as well to this bylaw. So anyone under the age of two or with certain underlying health conditions that make it difficult for them to breathe on a normal day, they won't be required to wear a mask, but they also won't be required to show any proof of said medical condition. As a result of that rather giant loophole in this bylaw, we are seeing protesters today taking to the TTC angry that masks are mandatory across the city, including on transit, subways, buses, streetcars, arguing that this measure violates their rights and they are effectively trying to make a mockery of the bylaw by boarding subway trains today without wearing masks. And they've said if anyone tries to stop them, They'll simply say they have a medical condition and that, you know, that way they'll avoid getting a fine. Uh, We asked the TTC, Stuart Green, about that, and he says, yeah, they're right. Listen to this. I think what they might be looking for, I mean, you know, notwithstanding the fact that they may have medical conditions that, you know, is none of our business. uh, But, uh, you know, if they're trying to make political points or trying to make a point in some other way, we're not going to engage them in that. You know, this is their business. Anyone who pays their fare can ride the TTC. So presumably they will pay a fare, they will ride the TTC, they will have a reason not to wear a face covering, and we will respect that. So there you have it, a bylaw without any enforcement. Uh, that is sparking some concerns, at least on social media, about so-called mask bullies, where you know, concerns that members of the public might take matters into their own hands, start confronting people who aren't wearing masks, or at least giving them the stink eye from afar, you know, trying to stigmatize them. Um, so, you know, officials with the city are reminding people that, you know, some people aren't wearing masks for good reason, because they do have an underlying health condition. So to keep that in mind... This bylaw comes into effect at an interesting moment. We have seen an open letter written, published this week to the World Health Organization, the WHO, by 239 scientists from around the world, 32 countries, who are arguing that COVID-19 is an airborne virus and needs to be treated as such, that they are particles smaller than what we previously thought. We are joined on the line now by one of those experts who signed that very letter, Dr. Julian Tang, uh, who is an honorary associate professor in the Department of Respiratory Sciences at the University of Leicester in the UK, who also uh, previously worked for the Alberta Health Services and the Laboratory Services. Dr. Tang, thanks so much for joining us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Great to be with you. Thanks for speaking to us again about this. I know you and I have spoken earlier in the pandemic on this very issue. Wanted to ask you about the letter. I mean, what to you is the message you're trying to send? 
Thank you. So the letter is really about saying that you can't exclude aerosol airborne transmission of this virus. Um, the, the, the WHO always talks about the lack of evidence or insufficient evidence. Uh, and now with like 11 million plus places around the world, it's very hard to exclude aerosol transmission as not being a cause for any of those 11 million cases. So we're arguing on a precautionary basis. And there's certainly evidence showing that you can find viral RNA uh, in the air. And it must have come from a human being. So at some point, it's probably live. Um, plus, you can find viral RNA on high surfaces in ward and hospital areas. Now, the only way the virus can get up there is on the air. The patients are not going to climb up, the, up to those high surfaces and lick, you know, ventilation grills or fan blades. The virus must be floating up in the air to get to those high surfaces. And the virus is not... It's not a tough virus. It's a very fragile virus. So basically the virus is going to die over time with heat and humidity and, you know, other noxious uh, chemicals in the air. So what we're seeing is that although there's no evidence, direct evidence of viable virus being cultured from these samples, it's likely that those viruses were alive at some point. And also when you air sample, when you collect air in those um, those um, samplers, it's quite a violent um, procedure. Uh, the air comes in, it swirls around, uh, through a glass tube and enters the liquid. So we may be killing 99% of the viruses just from collecting those air samples, and there's some data showing that this is a destructive process. So just saying that it's not viable in those samples excludes airborne transmission we think is wrong. Right, and you know we've heard over and over again that this virus is spread through respiratory droplets that you know we spread when we cough, we sneeze, maybe we laugh, even talk loudly. But I guess the distinction here is that these droplets, according to what we've been told up till now, these droplets drop to the ground pretty quickly. They don't float around in the air. And traditionally, when we talk about an airborne virus, we're thinking things like measles and, and smallpox, where these particles, as I understand it, can float around in the air for hours, potentially, down hallways or through ventilation systems. So where is the can you make the distinction here in terms of what we're talking about with covid-19 droplets i mean are we talking airborne like measles what are we talking about okay so we produce droplets of many different sizes with every breath whatever virus uh, respiratory infection that we have and the history of this uh, infection control is that we've demarcated this into like less than five microns for airborne, greater than five microns for droplets. In fact, it's a, it's a continuum, it's a spectrum of sizes. And we probably produce all those sizes all the time. Now, the distinction from measles and chickenpox is slightly different than from COVID-19. Measles and chickenpox produce very distinct clinical syndromes. Nearly all of them are symptomatic if they're in, infected with measles or chickenpox virus. With COVID-19, a lot of them are not symptomatic, and we don't know how far this virus travels on particles of different sizes. If you have strong cross flows, like in ventilated wards or ventilated uh, indoor buildings, uh, indoor areas, these droplets could be bigger and travel further because of those cross flows. But we're talking here about short-range conversational distances where you and I, if I can smell your, your garlic, your alcohol, your curry you have for lunch, over a one-meter distance or less when talking in the corridor to you after lunch, that I'm inhaling some of the air that you breathe. And some of those can be fine droplets that actually carry virus as well as the garlic, curry, or alcohol smell. So it's, a, it's a distinction between short-range and long-range transmission with aerosols. And although you may not pick up longer-range 
uh, transmission with COVID-19, with the long-range aerosols, it's the short range that we think is more important in this situation where everyday conversation, even just sharing the same air, listening to your colleagues, laughing with your colleagues, that's what's transmitting the virus. Right. So very quickly then, because um, we've heard certainly in this country, the advice has, has been for many weeks now, the, the two meter, six feet rule, you know, that's, that's physical distancing. You need to keep that far apart. Do you think that makes sense? The further apart you are, the more dilution, the more chance of those droplets being wafted away by the wind or air conditioning there is. So the further apart you are, the safer it is. The closer you are, the less safe it is. But any distance is better than none. So it, again, it's a spectrum of, it's a continuum of protection. The further away you are, the more safe you are. And that's by delight, the dilution, exposure to sunlight if you're out there. Uh, the wind may carry those droplets away. Uh, all of that will help the further apart you are. Dr. Julian Chang, one of the experts who signed that letter to the WHO and an honorary associate professor in the Department of Respiratory Sciences at the University of Leicester in the UK. Dr. Chang, thanks so much for helping to make sense of all of this for us. You're welcome. Thanks.